Hi, I'm Alana. I use they and she pronouns. And I'm Jessie. I use she and her pronouns. And we're and making, making Mentors. Making Mentors is an organization providing radical Jewish education. And this is the Artist Series, where we showcase queer Jewish anti-Zionist artists. Today, we're talking to Veronica Stewart Frommer. So, Veronica, introduce yourself. What are your pronouns? Where do you call home? What is your astrological sign if you're into that? And what kind of art you make? Hello, hello. First of all, I am so stoked to be a part of this conversation. Thank you guys for having me. I'm such a fan of all of the conversations that you facilitate. So I'm really happy to be here. My name is Veronica Stewart Romer. My pronouns are they or she or whatever pronouns you want to use. And I am based in Ridgewood, Queens. I was raised in New York City, so close to home right now. And I'm the lead singer in a band called Melt. So I'm primarily a singer and songwriter, although also do some work in the anti-nuclear weapons space. I just bop around and make whatever art I can. (laughs) That is so cool. And I'm so excited to get into your activism a little bit later. But let's start with the basics. What was your relationship to Judaism growing up? And how does Judaism show up in your life now, if at all? So I mentioned this on an email to you, but when I first saw your call for queer Jewish artists, my hand immediately went to respond like, oh my God, I want to do this. And then I had a second thought and I was like, am I Jewish enough to go on making mentions? (laughs) And I think that kind of sums up my experience being raised Jewish and kind of Jewish. My mom is like fiercely anti organized religion and kind of boycotted her own Jewish education growing up. So she's the daughter of two Jews and really just didn't want to go to Hebrew school and didn't want to be bat mitzvahed and they respected her choice. And so I was raised culturally Jewish and, you know, celebrating holidays with my grandparents, but I didn't go to synagogue. All of my friends, I grew up in New York City, so all of my friends were getting bat mitzvahed and I did not. And so I often felt like the least Jewish person in the room, but was surrounded by a lot of Judaism. And then after I graduated high school, I moved to Japan for half the year and was like working odd jobs and just wanted to be on my own. And that was the first experience that I'd ever had being the only Jew in a room. And people were often really curious about it. And that kind of started my... I guess curiosity about how Judaism is within me and my urge to reconnect with Judaism, but also just discover what it means to me in my life. So that's my Jewish history. (laughs) I'm still in the making. I love that it's still in the making. I feel like that's how we should all conceive of our spiritual practice because they're always evolving. That is super interesting to go from being surrounded by Jewish people to be... (laughs) the only Jewish person in a space. I could imagine that was jarring and interesting to grapple with. I think it also elicited like a, I don't know if this is the right word, but a pride in my identity that I hadn't really experienced up until that point. And I was like, 
oh, I totally can tell you about this identity that I hold. And I'm happy that you're interested in it. And I've just never been in that position. But I think for me, it's very much a familial tie. And it's something, especially as my grandparents get older and my grandmother, who I was very close to, has passed now, it feels like something that I want to carry and preserve as a link to her. So honestly, like the older I get, the more interested I get in preserving that link in any way I can. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's clear that your Judaism has evolved and you're continuing to engage with it in different ways. But we're definitely curious how your Judaism and how any of the other identities that you hold show up in the art that you make. As I go down this path of trying to make a living from my art, which I think is a very delicate thing. I think a lot about how my art interacts with capitalism. And I think that the decision to try to live off of your art is a compromise. And it definitely brings up a lot of questions daily for me in just what it means to be an artist and why I'm walking this path. Ultimately, every day I choose to keep going. And I think that at least for right now, this is the right path for me. And I'll always be an artist. And I think that the more that you walk down that path and encounter hurdles and hardships, just in trying to make your art pay the bills, the more you realize there's no point in trying to be an artist. Or I guess there's not no point because everyone's an artist and everyone's creative, but it's all just being who you are. Like it's all just making decisions and being curious about yourself and others in the world and trying to do that in the truest way possible to you at that very moment. So I think I'm realizing more and more that my art is just who I am. And I'm a very cerebral person. So I think I can often overthink and I get really excited about writing about certain concepts that I'm pigeonholing into that week. But every time my art feels best when it is a reflection of who I am and the identities that I hold. And the less I try to do that, the more successful I am at it. You want to be able to analyze your identities and present them in some interesting way in your art. But for me, at least, I haven't found a way to do that that comes from the analysis side. You just have to trust that you hold those identities enough to speak through them when you are your most genuine self. And I think the identities that I hold just are the art. And that's another thing I've been thinking about a lot in preparation to talk with you guys is you don't need to be Jewish enough. Or for me, I was like, you don't need to be Jewish enough to be Jewish and talk about it and have a relationship with it. You just are what you are. And so those things are guiding and oozing out of you at every moment. And whatever way you've chosen to speak, like for me, I feel like songwriting and singing and making art is just one language. It's one way to say the things that I want to say. And so, yeah, all of the identities that you hold just inform that. And you can't even try to make them influence you more or less. It's just who you are. So trying to lean into that more and more as I face more walls up and hurdles in the path to becoming a musician because sometimes it, you can really pull your hair out and you're just like am I doing the right thing am I doing this in the right way and you just need to make art that you stand behind and the only way to do that is to connect with yourself as deeply as you can 
So working on that every day. That was all so well said and I think really powerful. Just if you're showing up as your most full self, though, that is the identity. That is the art that is you coming through in that way. And I love that idea. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to show up as our most full selves with being in the month of the Lul and thinking about repair and also Hanani, this idea of here I am, like here I am as my full self. And I don't know, I feel like what you just said really speaks to that. I also, we can, I don't know if we'll choose to include this anecdote, but I <laughs> wanted to mention that I actually saw you perform. We talked about this. I know. But I wanted we to We were totally ships in the night. Like we didn't even literally realize to laugh. It's so funny because I saw Veronica perform at this very fun little cheeky festival in the woods. And I was listening to Veronica with my partner and we were like, whoa, like this band is really good. We were like really vibing. And then you gave this incredible little soliloquy at the end of your band's performance about climate change, specifically like climate emergency, because that day was like very smoggy. And it was when like the wildfires were causing a lot of the smog, at least in the tri-state area. And we actually recorded <laughs> the entire speech that you gave because we were like, this person is popping off. Who is this? <laughs> Talented and politically informed. So I just feel like that experience in and of itself really encapsulates what who you are as an artist. I feel like that really does come across. Thank it you. It is very clear. Yeah, just based on listening to you and seeing what you do, that your art and your politics, so inherently your identity, if we're considering the political personal, are very entwined and like very much the same thing. I think it's a hard line to toe that I know so deeply that I have not found the ultimate way that I want to toe that line. Like, it's really hard to figure out there's so many things you want to say. And especially that day, I could not catch my breath on stage. It was smoky at that festival. And I couldn't, I've never had that experience before where I, usually I'm running all around on stage. Like I'm a very energetic performer and it's the best part of my day. And I just thrash about and let it all out. And I was losing my breath and I was thinking to myself, just stand at the mic and don't pass out. Like I was really just trying to breathe and get the notes out. And I often will speak on stage if I'm moved to speak about whatever's going on. Or a couple tours ago, we teamed up with the organization I was working for, Global Zero, to throw condoms at the audience that said, make love, not war. But I left that tour feel, have, with a lot of questions about how to communicate about those things. And if one should communicate on stage so explicitly, or if you can say it with more weight in the art or just let people feel it. And I think it's a combination of both. And the more that I let it be personal, the better it is. Because in the case of nuclear weapons, and we don't have to get too far down that path, I think that's an issue where people are so awakened to the evils of the American military and nuclear weapons system and how many resources are being drained and destroyed just to uphold our supremacy in that area. And so there is something to standing and saying, hey, this is what's going on and you should care. And I think that people find it interesting and 
there is something to just quote unquote raising awareness about that. But when you're thinking about issues like climate change or even on our last tour, we were out this spring and a lot of the legislation out of the anti-queer legislation out of Tennessee was coming out. And I was having a really heavy time. It was just so upsetting and sad. And we were on the road and my heart was very heavy. And I think a lot of people's were and still are every day. And there were a couple of nights that on stage, I was just like, this has been a really sad tour. And people, I know that people did resonate. And it's nice to just, it's nice to mourn in community, I think is what I'm realizing. It doesn't just have to be some speech where you like inspire someone to take action. I think what I'm seeking as an individual now more than anything is to just connect and mourn in community with other people. And the beauty of my job is that I get to commune with other people on a nightly basis. And I think that's really unique. And my my amazing bandmate Marlo jokes that we are the doormen of music because everyone else is like on their time off and they're they're done with their nine to five. They get to be a person and go to the concert. And that's when we're like putting our work hats on and going to work. But I think it is it to me, it's really special to facilitate that moment for people where you get to be a person and have emotions and connect with other people. So this is a long winded way of saying that it's hard to know how to interface with those things in a live music setting. And more and more, I'm just being drawn to my feelings and wanting to share them and wanting to connect with other people about things that are going on in the larger community, like the community that you don't often get to see. So thank you for the kind words on that. And I'm glad it resonated. That's great to hear because I question it a lot. I know you said we don't have to go down that path, but literally our next question was going to be about your activism around nuclear de-escalation or nuclear disarmament, or I'm not sure exactly the term you want to use, but I just want to pull in some of those threads that you said before, because this is probably the fourth or fifth time, I don't even know, that we've talked to an artist about the power of grieving together in community and Mm. showing up in Mm. grief. And it's such a Jewish concept that we just keep coming back to like sitting shiva, even if they're strangers, mm. or just being in community. And you are the lead singer of this band, Melt. And Melt has championed political causes, a lot of them. And one of them is what you were talking about, nuclear de-escalation or disarmament. And I would love to know a little bit more about your connection to this cause. But also, if you think nuclear de-escalation has a connection to Jewish values in any way. So... While you were talking about how Jewish collective mourning is, which resonated so deeply, that is so applicable to nuclear disarmament in kind of the most abstract way, because it's an issue that's really hard to envision. And I think one of the common misconceptions about the issue of nuclear weapons is that there aren't currently impacted communities. Like everybody knows about the bombing on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but people don't know as much about downwinder communities in New Mexico and states where our nuclear weapons arsenals are based, where there are generations of families living with thyroid cancer and other health effects of nuclear, U.S. nuclear testing 
unbeknownst to them, or at least the serious health effects unbeknownst to them. Um, and so, and also, of course, communities of Marshallese people who, many of whom have relocated the States, who also suffered displacement and negative health effects of U.S. nuclear weapons testing on the Marshall Islands. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions of this issue is that it's a relic of the Cold War. Maybe since the Russian invasion in Ukraine, it's been a bit more current for people of our generation. But I think we forget that even even save full-blown nuclear war, there are impacted communities right now suffering from the effects of the U.S. nuclear arsenal. And there is a lot to mourn. And so it's this issue that's really hard to visualize or even understand the potential devastating effects on our planet and our people. But right now, hundreds of billions of dollars are being wasted on these weapons that a lot of people in the nuclear disarmament community joke are just like big dicks. Like it's really just a dick measuring contest out here with imperialist nuclear weapons holding nations. And this is why my approach to all of this is really based in love theory and queer theory and revolutionary love. I am someone who went to school for international relations. So I was, Melt started my senior year of high school and then a lot of us pursued college degrees and I was studying nuclear policy because I think it's something that you can't look away from. Once you see this issue, at least for me and for a lot of my former colleagues in the field, it's something that is just so fascinating and so devastating that it's really hard to look away from once you learn enough to be interested. So as someone who studied nuclear policy, for four years at an institution where a lot of people were hoping to go to D.C. and work for the Department of Defense. Like in a lot of my classes, I was the only person who believed in nuclear disarmament and nuclear weapons abolition. So as someone who studied this from more of a policy lens, we have been dealing with the issue of nuclear weapons for over 75 years now. And no game theory is helping us out of this predicament that really has just been caused by imperialism, big egos, and just a total disregard for human life. And honestly, the only thing that's given me solace through my journey of learning about nuclear weapons abolition is reading queer theory and love theory, like Bell Hooks, Valerie Corr, these scholars have an understanding that all issues really stem from our obstruction from ourselves. And I see that so hard in the nuclear sphere. And it sounds silly. And sitting in a room of people who are like hoping to be nuclear experts, it comes off really naive. But going through that experience, I think I really learned to stand my ground. And I think that to bring it back full circle, Mourning is a really important part of the nuclear field. I actually just was doing a workshop with Global Zero where we had this incredible spiritual leader come in and lead us in an exercise in mourning. I'll have to find her name after we finish recording. But yeah, we all lit candles and we mourned just for the destruction that has been caused by the construction of the U.S. nuclear arsenal. And so I think it's a really 
powerful motivating force. And yeah, it's really important to view these abstract issues as community issues. And I think it's ironic that I got so involved in nuclear weapons abolition because I'm someone who very much believes in the power of community organizing and even just connecting with yourself, working on yourself, working on your relationships. I find those acts to be some of the most revolutionary things we can do and also some of the most hope-inspiring things we can do because you can see your life change when you make positive, when you heal and when you make positive changes, when you heal relationships or when you are brave enough to be more vulnerable. Those are positive successes that you can celebrate. And I think when we look at issues like the nuclear weapons system and climate change, it's really hard to find hope in the face of those problems. And so I always chuckle that I'm so involved in nuclear weapons abolition because to my core, I believe in community and the power of making change within your own community. And this is such a global issue. It's just like the biggest, most amorphous thing that you could possibly imagine. But through it, I've learned that the same principles I think are necessary to heal wounds as big as imperialism and our absurd military spending. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that is all incredibly important. And also just so interesting to hear more about your background, having focused on international policy for so long and now having your main job be singing with melt and making art with melt is just really fascinating. And I have a lot of questions about that, but it's not necessarily within our scope today. So I'll try to focus a little bit. I think a lot of what you've been talking about is what is important to you politically and how that is inherently personal. You've talked a lot about nuclear weapons and nuclear disarmament and the climate emergency. And something that you mentioned to us leading up to this episode is that you sometimes feel like you use your Jewish identity as a way to be more freely anti-Zionist. You actually said as like a hall pass. And I really liked that wording. And I think that's something that I think about a lot and I see happen in the community a lot because with making menches, we're surrounded by anti-Zionists and anti-Zionist Jews. And something I see a lot is especially converts getting ripped to shreds when they're anti-Zionist, even more so than someone who is not a convert does. And again, there's so much to get into there because there is no difference between someone who's converted to Judaism and someone who was born Jewish. Oftentimes converts know way more about Judaism than we do. But yeah, I'm just curious to hear you expand upon that. And I'm curious if you stray away from topics like anti-Zionism in some of your more outward activism because of the backlash that maybe you don't receive for some of your other activism? That's such a great question. And my immediate response to that is yes. It definitely takes different levels of emotional effort to engage based off of how I perceive the reaction will be. But I also think that the more and more I have become myself as I age, the more I'm in community with like-minded people, the less of a hurdle there is because my social fabric is made up of people who ideologically, for the most part, align. And when they don't, it's 
it's a beautiful thing and we can push each other. But even if our ideologies don't align, just other people who are like liberated enough to speak their minds. So it gets easier and easier. But hearing you say that, honestly, one of the ways I've related to my Judaism for my whole life is as an important part of my anti-Zionism, as a part that kind of shields me from the backlash that other people might want to give. And I see that a lot too. First of all, I really admire so many wonderful Jewish organizations like Making Benches who are anti-Zionist and are incredible advocates. And I think that it's really important to have people in the community like fiercely anti-Zionist because I think people are looking to Jews to forge that path. And it's really important and it's really powerful. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. But I think it's a bad thing that people feel, or at least I observe people feeling less and less comfortable in their outward anti-Zionism, the further they are away in their proximity to Jewish identity. And at least for me, when I'm engaging in conversations about anti-Zionism with people who disagree, I use my Judaism. I lean on it heavily as a shield because a lot of people want to use the suffering of Jews to excuse the suffering of Palestinians and the harm caused and the evils done. And that's just so egregious. It's really important to decouple those things. Like, I think it's really important that people stand proudly in their Jewish identity to be anti-Zionist and use it as a fueling force. Because I certainly see my, and I think every Jewish anti-Zionist does, I see my Jewish ideals as the root of my anti-Zionism, of course. But you obviously don't need to be Jewish to be anti-Zionist. And you don't need to apologize for being anti-Zionist and for standing with Palestinian liberation ever. And I think that even as someone who has said things like, well, I'm Jewish, like that is an apology in a certain way. And so that's something that I'm trying to recognize more in my anti-Zionism is like, how am I using my Jewish identity? Am I, am I drawing strength from it and the ideals that I was raised with? Or am I kind of buying into this whole narrative that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism by saying I'm Jewish. And I think it really is the latter. So that's something that I've really been trying to investigate. And I think it's something that people need to be, I think it's something that plays out in a lot of identities. And Alana, we were talking before this, and I was mentioning even in my identity as a non-binary queer person, it took a lot for me to start being more open with my queer identity on stage and as a performer, because it is such a personal journey to be queer. And it's something that I often don't want to put into words. And then once I started sharing it more, I realized that the love of being queer and the beautiful, substantive, community-based queerness that you can access just multiplies when you share it. And when I was on that tour in the spring, I started talking about how sad I was on stage to see all of the anti-trans legislation that was popping up. And it was just making me so sad at the time. And 
it was a beautiful opportunity to mourn with other people at the shows, but it took me so long to stand firmly enough in my queerness to do that because I think that there's so much imposter syndrome about holding your various identities and it's such a confusing thing. You are who you are, but I think it's something that holds a lot of people back from living their full truth. And then in cases like anti-Zionism and where it veers into advocacy and activism and politics, I think it holds people back from taking a stand and becoming activated. So I think art is a really beautiful way to break that down for people. Thank you for taking us through that journey, truly, of reconciling with Jewish identity and also pride in multiple identities. And I think what you're sharing is so insightful because what it really comes back to is other people defining our identities for us and feeling like we have to live up to that expectation or defy that expectation. And it's really hard when you constantly define yourself by what people put on you and then realize you have to break free of that to even know what you are. And it's such a absolutely process. Yeah. And I just love what you're saying too about specifically Jewishness and the queerness. And with Jewishness, I think so many people going back to where we started with this conversation don't feel Jewish enough. And they can be wrapping to fill in and praying three times a day and they don't feel Jewish enough. Hmm. And they can be doing any multitude of things and everybody's telling them they're not Jewish enough. So I think it's really empowering for you to say, yes, I am Jewish enough. And I still question how I'm using that Jewish enough when it comes to speaking about anti-Zionism, because I definitely hide behind that. I'm realizing as you're saying it, when I get accused of being anti-Semitic or being hateful, <laughs> I love to say I can't be because look at all the ways I'm Jewish. And it's definitely been a shield for me as well. So thank you for that not even intentional call in, but it was a bit (laughs) listening. I'm like, wow. That's so well put. Just all of that is so well summarized and so well put. And I think that sentiment of not being Jewish enough translates to so many identities that people hold, not being queer enough, not being artist enough. So many people play an instrument their whole lives and then, oh, it's just an extracurricular and they move on into their careers and it fades into the background. And that's totally fine too. But I think a lot of people suppress those beautiful identities because they don't feel like they're enough. And I think the cool thing about being a performing artist is that it forces me, someone who's prone to saying those things about myself, it forces me to be visible. And the more that I do that, the more comfortable I am standing in those identities in whatever way, in whatever form I stand in them. So it's really just an ongoing practice of liberating yourself from other people's expectations. 100%. And working in that theme of liberating ourselves from expectations and building off this tradition of Jewish identity and figuring it out for yourself. You were just in Poland, which is really powerful for you because you told us that's where your grandparents lived and emigrated from. And we're just so curious to hear what your experience was like. And with all of this in mind about identity and conversations and being our authentic selves, how can art help us communicate with elders or past generations? I love that question so much. And it's coming to me just the right place in life because I did go to Krakow 
last week I'm on some time off and I'm doing some traveling, which I'm feeling really happy about. And my great grandparents emigrated from Womsha, Poland, escaping Russian pogroms. And I've always wanted to go back to Poland. And especially now that I've been trying to connect with or discover my Jewish identity more, I've been really just wanting to go back there. And it was really powerful. And I think I walked away with a lot of guilty feelings stronger than I'd ever felt before about how much my ancestors endured for me to be living my dreams every day as a musician. And I'm so grateful for that. And I actually was talking to my therapist about it. And he was like, what would they say if they saw you performing? And I started working with a vocal coach last year because I was getting sick and losing my voice. And I was in a low moment of self-esteem vocally and just feeling really bad before our first headlining cross-country tour. So I was really nervous. And she started having me put someone on the back of the room to sing to. And we have this one song, Communion. I'm constantly writing Christian-coded songs (laughs) accidentally. (laughs) I don't even mean to. And there's one song, Communion, that I started singing to my great-grandmother, who I can't even picture in my mind, but it's a song about birthing yourself anew and shedding skin. And I always sing it to my grandma and my great-grandma. And it's become one of the most powerful moments in the set for me, whether or not it translates. It's such an emotional moment for me every night because it it makes me emotional talking about it now. My grandma and I were so close. I can't imagine what she'd think to see me on stage singing in the way I am now. And I especially can't imagine what my great-grandmother, who I think she was 15 years old and escaped with five siblings from Womsha, Poland, to the U.S., orphaned. And I don't even know what she would think. I think she would be totally awestruck. Valerie Kaur, who's this amazing writer, talks about it as bring your brave ancestor into the room with you. And it's just become a really powerful part of my performing practice. And I find that it gives me a lot of strength and really connects me to myself in those moments. And it makes me proud of myself in a really emotional way, which I think is so important. It's so important to go, you're doing a great job and look not only how far you've come, but what would your lineage think seeing you where you are? Like, it's just such, such a moving question that I've really been leaning into this year, especially as the band's been going on our first long tours. And it's just been a big year of change. And a lot of self-doubt and a lot of new challenges. I'm just scratching the surface on what it means to connect with your ancestors through art, but it's a really powerful thing. And it's amazing that they are a part of what's making you create the way you create, even people you've never met. So I feel like it's a way to communicate with them and draw strength from them and honor them. Yeah, I think that is incredibly beautiful. And I really love that outlook. I think sometimes I get myself stuck in these thought patterns where I'm like, my ancestors would not really have agreed with what I'm saying a lot of the time or what I'm doing or what I look like. (laughs) I think I get caught up being like, would my ancestors be proud of me because I'm doing something that is so antithetical to what they would have hoped I would have been doing because they were Zionists for sure. And 
and I'm covered in tattoos and I have tons of facial piercings and I'm very queer and I'm non-binary and I'm like would they have been into that but then at the same time I think it is powerful to just remember we are products of those people so even if they might not have agreed with some of my values and the way that I present myself to the world, I think the reason that I can present myself in the way that I do and the reason I can be so passionate about the things that I care about is because of what they set up for me, is because of what is encoded into the ways that I was raised and my parents were raised and my grandparents were raised. And I think that is a powerful thing to reflect on. We are products of that strength and resilience even if it's showing up in ways that are different Mm. than what our ancestors would have imagined it to be (laughs) ignorance is bliss it's nice to just be like you know what I don't need to engage with what they would have thought about me but I can believe that in some way they would have been proud (laughs) totally and at least for me because I didn't know my great-grandmother but I think I get to project my (laughs) frame of reference onto the situation and yeah I'm sure that she would have disagreed with some parts of my lifestyle and I think the funny thing is that I get to project my worldview onto what she would have thought and I go wow I'm so grateful that I feel supported enough to live in my truth and I wow I'm so grateful that I get to be here doing what I love and having amazing thought-provoking conversations like what a beautiful thing that so many people in my lineage didn't have the support to live truthfully in those ways and just how beautiful it is that I'm getting closer and closer to that reality and I think about this all the time whether it's me or my friends or just dealing with older generations who might not understand, which can be such a painful thing. And just having compassion for the repression that sows that disapproval of the lifestyle. And there's this amazing poet, you might know of them, Alok Menon. I'm just absolutely in love with everything that they say and do. And they talk a lot about how our own demons are the root of hatred and are the root of negative thinking towards others. And so it's really hard to reconcile older generations view of your lifestyle, especially when you're queer or when you just may be living differently than they would want you to. But it always brings me solace to just think of that as hurt that never was healed in them that you are now healing. I feel like that's the beautiful progression that I see a hundred percent I don't know if this is the exact poem that you're talking about but I used one of Alok's poems when I used to do these bystander intervention trainings basically talking about our elders or ancestors perceiving us in certain ways and the ways that it is a projection of things that they haven't processed that we're healing those generational wounds in a way that is so significant and hard and painful but so rewarding and I do think at the end of the day there would be pride there and I also love when my grandparents surprise me and are proud of me regardless of all the ways that I show up in the world I remember I came out to my grandma within the last two years and I was a little bit nervous because I have a lesbian aunt and their relationship around that has been rocky but my grandma was literally like okay 
as long as you're happy. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay, that was easy. And fully embraces my partner, always asks how they're doing. Can't get the pronouns down, but that's work in progress. And so, yeah, I think those things are very healing and we need to give space for our elders to surprise us sometimes. That's so powerful and so true. Giving space for other people to show up for you in ways that you have decided they won't is so real. And especially with my journey right now of slowly incorporating my preferred pronouns into my life, every time it takes it takes some bravery to just be like, oh, by the way, I'm using these pronouns now. And people will really surprise you. Sometimes they don't. And that sucks, but sometimes they do. And that's really beautiful. And at least for me, it's made me really appreciate the care of strangers or acquaintances in my field. But yeah, my grandfather, who's just the most wonderful person, Arthur, he unfortunately really can't get his thoughts out anymore. But we talk so freely and almost because he doesn't function the way he used to. And he's so appreciative of the time spent together that I feel like I can really just tell him anything. And I've opened up to him more than most people in my life recently. And I find that because he was the only Jew in a lot of spaces that he was in, this is the vision of him that I've constructed in my head because he is an older person who doesn't fit the mold for me. He's very tolerant. I think that he understands what it means to be other and he doesn't fully understand the gender thing, but he's very open to it conceptually. And I've always thought that comes from his experience of just always being an outsider. And I think it's just made him very loving of other identities. And it always reminds me not to lock older people into the trope of just being intolerant. I love that. And I love that idea of staying curious and staying surprised and being open to possibility. I hate that I always have to ask this question because we go from this beautiful, expansive, free-flowing conversation. And then I'm like, all right, so one thing to leave everyone with, but (laughs) you could choose one message to leave all our listeners with, what would it be? That's a hard question. I think happiness and peace and healing is resistance and it is so important and the more involved and curious I get about the various things I'm interested in the more I recenter on the fact that the smallest blocks of change are the most important ones and that's a beautiful thing because they're also the ones that we have the most power to change so yeah connect with yourself and your loved ones in your community and that's the stuff of life and that's gonna make us all live in a better world that was so good and incredibly succinct thank you for that wisdom (laughs) Um, the one succinct answer tonight (laughs) (laughs) perfect and I love the idea of healing as resistance it is so thank you for that and also thank you for being here with us tonight Thank you for putting up with our Mercury retrograde technological (laughs) issues. And yeah, thank you for all of the insights that you provided. It was so wonderful to get to talk to you and hear more about your work, both your art and your activism and you and the way that all those things are connected to each other. 
now is the time if there's any work of yours or melts that you want to highlight or any other organizations or projects that you're really excited about you have the floor amazing thank you both so much for having me this has been so wonderful and I'm so glad that I got to chat with you both I guess the only plug is to follow along on Instagram I'm at Big Ron and the band is at Melt the Band and we're recording an album right now so hopefully this will be a very enlightening experiment in how to say the things you want to say as an artist so I feel like we're about to we're about to learn a lot about how we do that and if you want to follow along Instagram's a good place and I'm excited to see what we come up with and to share it with everyone so at melt the band and at big ron (laughs) thank you so much again this has been lovely thank you and now i don't know if this is the last episode of our series or not frankly to everyone listening we will probably continue this because it's been the greatest to talk to fellow queer anti-zionist jewish artists it's just been the best thing ever so Chances are high there'll be another episode in the near future that is technically a part of the artist series, but I can't give anyone a date on that yet because artists are hard to nail down. I'll say that much. But in general, yeah, including you, Veronica, in general, if this is the last episode, this has been the most rewarding series ever, and I am just so eternally grateful for all of the artists who participated and for Jesse for being the best co-host, co-founder ever and making it all happen. So there'll probably be more. So this little soliloquy probably won't matter very much, but in general, thank you to everyone who's listened because we are going to keep doing it because people like it and that's great. And thank you to all the artists who have made it so special and insightful. And a huge thank you to Alana, because without Alana, this series concept never would have been born. Alana did all the outreach to all of the artists, came up with everything for this series. I just did tech support, which almost killed us today. So that was much all I contributed. But I just want to say Alana has been the visionary for this. It was going to say series, but it's like, a movement now that we're putting together. So I am just so grateful to do this with you, Alana. One of my favorite podcasts every so often will do a gratitude episode where they just talk about how much they love each other. And I think that we should implement that (laughs) because that's what this is giving. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. And if anyone is interested in maybe being part of a conference of sorts that would reflect this series, I don't know, just like planting those seeds. Think about that for the future. We'll see you maybe in the next few weeks. Bye.